Welcome to the Going Beyond podcast. I'm Randy Zinn. I'm an entrepreneur, wellness expert, author, and the founder of the Going Beyond movement. I'm constantly exploring how individuals can make the most impact on a daily basis. And here's what I've learned. Your life is part of the change we want to see in the world. Your life is the movement. The work you do is that drop that causes that ripple effect of positivity. Let today's episode be part of your daily contribution toward change, the investment you make in yourself. Let it be the fuel you need to go beyond. Are you wanting to grow and educate yourself on race issues during this time? Do you want to go from feeling helpless to active and informed? If so, join us for our next live virtual event on July 26th from 7 to 9 p.m. In this conversation, we're diving into cross-racial friendship as a pathway for change. We will be joined by Bex Baruki, Nasia Walsh, Carrie Bauer, and LaFonda Riggins. During a time when the veil has been lifted and so many are seeking understanding and action, we know this conversation will be raw, real, and constructive. Tickets are available on our website, beyondmom.com, on our events page. Tickets are $20 with a portion of the proceeds going to Brown Girls Do Ballet, a nonprofit whose purpose is to promote diversity in the arts by providing annual scholarships, a mentor network, and community programs to empower young girls. Get your tickets now. We cannot wait to see you there. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Going Beyond podcast. I'm psyched you're here. This is my happy, happy space. I kind of joke, but I'm actually serious that I love creating this space because I get to talk about what I want to talk about. (laughs) And I get to bring some of the amazing women in my world onto this show and really dive into all the wisdom they have, all of the life stories that they have that make them not only who they are, but have shaped the work that they do in the world. And it's like I get to hang out and have my social hour and record it and share it with you guys, my listeners. So really, really, truly is my happy space. So Thank you for being here. I'm particularly excited for this interview. Again, I actually honestly really do love bringing people on the show who I know because I know where we're going in a certain way. Like I know the depth of the conversation and I can already feel what my listeners are going to get out of it. And today is one of those conversations. I'm joined by my friend, Molly Carmel. And Molly and I met in very silly, fun, joyful circumstances, which I'm going to tell you about in a second. But first, I'm just going to give you her bio so you know who I'm talking about, and then we're going to get into the fun stuff. So Molly is the founder of The Beacon Program based here in New York, and she's the author of the groundbreaking book, which recently came out, called Breaking Up with Sugar, A Plan to Divorce the Diets, Drop the Pounds, and Live Your Best Life. Molly is fiercely devoted to helping people from all walks of life break free of their destructive relationship with food and dieting. 
a powerhouse speaker best known for her reverent, straight talk, no chaser attitude. It's been said that she punches as hard as she hugs. I like that. So Molly has battled with an eating disorder for over 20 years. And when she found no solution in treatments, she made it her life's mission to help people find a sustainable solution to the battle of obesity and related eating disorders. She established the Beacon Program to provide comprehensive, life-changing guidance to master your food, master your mind, and reclaim your life. Let's just say that Molly is highly educated in this realm. She has done so many courses, so many studies, and is truly is her specialty. And on top of being so seasoned, she is also a trained Reiki healer, a devotee of daily meditation. She's a certified Tibetan bowl singing practitioner, and she's breathwork certified. So she brings so much to her practice and to the people that she serves. She's been in the media, and she's a really devoted friend. And I want to say that about Molly. So Molly is Thank here with you. me. Welcome, Molly. I'm really just honored and happy to have you here with me. I have been looking forward to this all day because I am so excited to get to talk to you for an hour. <laughs> I know. It always feels like it's in like snippets right? Yeah, I know. Right. I was like, wow. I mean, I have this sort of thing where I was like, gosh, I hope it's enough time. I, that's I know. how it is with you and me. <laughs> uh, I know. I like, I always feel that way because um, I mean, credit to myself, like I bring like amazing people onto this podcast and I have attracted amazing people in my life. So I'm always like more, more, more. Yeah. That's how I feel too. My power circle runs deep and it yeah. is right, you know? Exactly. But like, it's the best currency, isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah, I know. And this connection for me is certainly in recovering from all this stuff has been the most important thing is to really have found my people because that's the nourishment and nurturing that I was turning to food with. Yeah. So it's just such an, it's like, it's not, it's like air to me having my people, having my power circle. Totally. So let's talk about how we met and then we're going to get into the nitty gritty. So few years ago, I think it was summer 2017, because it was right before my book launch. I and Molly were both teachers at Soul Camp. And many of you are familiar with Soul Camp. I've had Allie and Michelle, the founders of Soul Camp, on this podcast a couple of seasons oh, back. I love them. We love That's them. A fun podcast. Yeah. That is a fun duo. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Molly and I were put in the same bunk along with a bunch of the other teachers at Soul Camp. And I have never been to summer camp. I mean, I went to summer camp. I went to day camp because I was an only child and I was like too afraid to leave home and you know, all the stuff. So Soul Camp was like my first experience of going to a traditional summer camp space and sleeping in a room of beds with other people. Like I had never done that before. And frankly, I was really anxious about it because I was like, how am I going to sleep? How am I going to like relax? How am I going to go to the bathroom? Like all the like anxiety. <laughs> it's so true though. Oh my God. All the anxiety like comes up. And then like basically what happened was that I was in a bunk of incredible, powerful women, healers, teachers, and we were all very silly and fun and Molly and I met 
and we like really bonded and connected. And <laughs> late at night, I would like lay in her bed. <laughs> this is a true story. This is a true story. And then the famous quote is that I gazed up at Molly with my innocent <laughs> eyes and I said, is this what summer camp is like? <laughs> and Molly said, yes, Randy, this is yes. what summer camp is like. <laughs> I'm an only child too. My mother had children when I was 13 and 15. And I was sent to summer camp at seven. So I, you know, it was the best time. And it was so exciting to get to share summer camp with you, right? Like <laughs> I got that question in the depths of my soul, like, yeah. And we were in this childlike moment, like just, you know, like met each other the day before. And we're just like in the same little twin bed in the middle of the night. And that's how I make friends. Yeah. That's how you make friends. Oh my I've God. Lots of stories like that in life, you know? I know. And what was special is like that connection. I just want to say thank you. Like just from that connection, like you've always been so supportive ever since. Like I invited you to my book launch party and you were there and like yeah. other things that have come up and you're like, I'm there. That's really beautiful. So thank you for that. Well, it's a soul friendship, right? I mean, I think in that moment, our souls yeah. connected and then yeah. you just, I don't know. It's how I'm made, which is a wonderful part of who I am. Totally. I can appreciate that today. I can yes. appreciate that today. Yes. And so obviously it came very naturally when you so kindly sent me your beautiful book. And I was like, uh, duh, you're coming onto the podcast, girl. So here we well, are. That's why I wrote it, Randy. Just kidding. No. To be on the podcast. <laughs> so Isn't that why everyone writes their books? <laughs> yeah, that's why I wanted to do it. I'm so, so happy to be here. I'm happy to. All of that to say we're happy to be here today. So, okay, let's start, like give the listeners a sense of the roots and the story and the Beacon program and this book and like, like give us a sense of the essence. So I've been really blessed. Like my, I'm pretty certain that I was put on this earth to do exactly what I'm sitting here and doing with you today. And I'm one of those wounded healers, right? So my personal path has completely informed my professional path. And I'm also one of these people who like what I do for my trade just never feels like it's a choice. Like it's only felt like a calling. So when I was, so I was born like, you know, upside down, nine pounds, 12 ounces, you know, was a, it sort of like it so started my life in this just like chaos of a life. And right before I turned three, my dad passed away really suddenly, uh, really traumatically. He uh, got in a huge car accident. And, you know, in that moment, I turned to food. Like, and that's what the story goes. Like I was turning to food at the age of four, hiding food, hoarding food, you know, and sugar, you know, not knowingly, but certainly sugar started to you know, numb me and soothe me because I didn't have words for what was happening. And by the time I was seven, you know, the adults in my life, I think rightfully so, just I know this is like a mom's podcast and people get very uppity up about like my mom taking me a nutritionist when I was seven. I do a lot of work with parents and it is just so tricky, this particular issue with kids. And I think that's what my mom knew to do. And so they took me to a nutritionist. And, you know, unfortunately for me, it was the start of not just my unhealthy relationship with food, but also my really unhealthy relationship with dieting. And it really, from set from the age of seven to the age of 25 or maybe even 30, you know, it was like, you know, go on a diet, fail at the diet, turn to sugar, 
go on a diet, fail on the diet, turn to sugar, you know, to the tune of like 325 pounds and, you know, this suicidal depression. But this interesting thing happened to me when I was 14 years old and I was at weight loss camp, which was like, you know, Randy, I'm a camp person. It's a time of my life. It really was, you know, but I had this knowing inside of me you know, and no one was teaching me anything. There was no fundamental skills, but so I knew like, oh my God, this is the best time of my life. And I'm going to go home to this demoralizing shame of gaining my weight back. No questions asked. By the way, was in home ec, in my gold gap jeans and the you know button popped off and it was like, here we go again. But when I was there, I love this podcast because it's real spiritual. So I can just be like my truest self. So when I was at this weight loss camp at 14, I had this like kind of download where like this thing happened to me where it's like, you need to fix this. Like you need to figure out what's going to work for people. And unfortunately or fortunately, I mean, God, it all makes sense today. You know what I mean? It all makes so much sense today. But so from 14 until, you know, the age of 30, it was like some rough and tumble moments, right? Of trying. And I was on a quest to heal myself, not knowing that this quest was going to end up being able to help so many other people in their struggles. And listen, it was raunchy and terrible and dark as spiritual awakenings are, right? And I mean, demoralizing lows, you know, I had bariatric surgery, ate my way through that, you know, all like, it's just, you know, wanted to kill myself many times. Like it, it goes on and on and on. And I think, you know, the gratitude I have for the solution today is beyond when we're talking about sugar, you know, it actually was the last thing I did in all of this was give up sugar because sugar was so my solution. Like I was doing whatever I could to protect that particular relationship. And I mean, like literally like having my intestines rerouted, like, you know, and I was trained as I was doing all of this, this is parallel process of me going and getting, I was started a boarding school in California for adolescent obesity. I was trained there in that low, remember this, on that low fat calorie counting model. So I was like Mm -hmm. the honey mustard pretzel of it all, you know, and the fro-yo and and I was just binging and binging and binging and, you know, and all of it, some exercise bulimia, like I became an aerobics instructor and was like, you know, I was able to like kind of hold some weight off in through bulimic exercise. It was just such a mess. You know, so the end game is this. I was about 32 years old. I was running a a clinic in Connecticut and like nobody was getting well on this model. I had been trained on it. And I'd say worse than that, I wasn't getting well. I was living this double life. I mean, when you like living a double life is a pain. Like if you know it, I hope that this is helping you heal because it's like, I'm going to work every day. It's just like kind of well-known eating disorders therapist, right? Gaining weight hand over fist. And it's about the weight and it's not about the weight. The weight is a function of a larger problem, right? So me gaining weight is not like, I'm not body obsessed in any way. I've been relieved of that, but there is something wrong with my spiritual, emotional health when I am putting on weight. I say that for those who are listening. And so I'm just living this double life. I'm going to work and I'm trying to help people. I'm going home and destructively binging at night. And I was like something. And that little voice came back inside of me. was like, you got to figure this out, girl. And at the time, the research was really moving towards, you know, diabetes research, all of that, which is where sugar is. And then the funniest thing happened, which was, and by the way, like nobody loves a diet, like a quick fix more than me or during those times. My brother had given up sugar and it was like working for him. Mm. And I was like, if Mikey can do this, certainly I can do this. So, and desperate times call through desperate measures and I gave up sugar and two things happened. 
the first thing that happened was I went through detox and I'm like an addictions therapist. So I was kind of like, this is not just some kind of fad thing going on here. I'm having sweats. I'm exhausted. I'm my irritability. But after that passed, this other crazy thing happened, which was I got so much better, right? So like my mood swing stopped. I started to release weight really easily. My hunger cravings, like it was bonkers. Like I, it was like, I always think about an addiction. It's like, it was like I was seeing black and white and I could see color. I mean, it, this was so the thing. And then I did this really crazy thing, which is I had this full functioning clinic. And after a while I was like, I'm shutting down the whole thing and I'm starting something new. Like that is, I, I mean, when they say I am fiercely devoted to freedom, like I was like, well, no one's going to get well. I guess I'll lose a few clients, but I'm not sitting in this lie anymore. Like we're not playing this honey mustard pretzel jelly sandwich game anymore. Like this is done. And I've been doing this ever since. And I opened my clinic eight years ago and it's been the most amazing thing I've ever done because I watch people get well in ways that I didn't even know possible. And this is just the best life. Like I just can't believe it because I just get to be of service all day. It's incredible. And so this book has been amazing because every day four people get in touch with me and say, I can't thank you for telling my story. And thank you for the solution. And all people have told me is to moderate and intuitively eat. And I can't do that. And you're the first person to ever tell me what I needed to hear. And I mean, Randy, like what else is there in life? What else is there in life other than this? It's amazing. Thank you for telling your story. I think, yeah, the physical body... I agree that the physical body represents everything going on mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I think that until that part is met with the truth of that, which we have relied upon to hide from the pain, like where are we going? We're not going anywhere. And that's the thing about, so people in my industry get really upset with me because I think it is acceptable to want to release weight. I think it is usually indicated that many of us need to release weight, not all. And people are like, you know, the health at any size movement. I only know because I've weighed 325 pounds. And it's like, I am personally, I am harming myself when I am doing that. I am using harmful ways to numb myself that I can find more, better and less harmful ways to experience pain, you know? And so it's like a, I'm a, I get in a lot of trouble happily. (laughs) in my industry. Well, the good news, Molly, I think, is that there's a voice for everyone here. And, you know, different people are going to resonate with different things and need different things. Like there's going to be the people that need to just figure out how to love their shape as they are. And that's what they need. And then there's people that have been abusing the addiction of sugar and have deep wounds and need to work through letting that go. And yes, the weight is the physical representation of that pain. And that's going to be your crew. And what I always I say that. this thing, you know, I heard this quote many years ago. And so you know, it's like, if somebody tells you that there's one way run away, yeah. right? And the research actually says on all of this is like, there's actually no evidence base for any of this. And that's what I feel like too. I get a lot of flack about that. Like, how are you telling people? And it's like, then it's not for you. Like, I'm only here for people who want to heal in this way. I love what you're saying. Of course, I love what you're saying. I love you. But, you know, like, right. It's a touchy subject, though, for sure. With people. Of course. I mean, all I can say is that 
I, this past year, like if we're talking about sugar, let's start with that. This past year, I had like really weird symptoms that came up and I was sort of ignoring them and managing them for like a year or two. And it was basically that I was having inflammation in my hand joints. And I was like, what the hell is this? Like, where did this come from? And I kept rationalizing it and being like, oh, it's just whatever. Yeah. And then, um, this past summer, it really started to affect me. And I said, this is not okay. And so when I came back from the summer break period and back to the city, I had my blood work done and it showed like, Oh, like markers, things that are worth looking at. I looked at those things, cleared it. And then I went the approach that I would typically go to, which is a health coach and talked about an anti-inflammatory diet. And of course, Breaking up with sugar was a thousand percent of it. And Molly, guess, do you think I've felt any pain in my hands since? I treated a woman with like 80% MS whose symptoms went down to like 20%. I mean, when you, that's the thing I know about my story. It's like when the solution works for you, you probably have the problem. Like, (laughs) right, exactly. And you know, also how you're talking, you said like the world went from black and white to color. I will say that I didn't think that I was foggy. But I was foggy and I didn't realize it until I started to, I guess, clean myself in so many ways. I also went off of gluten and I drank like virtually no wine and like I sort of cleaned up some other things too. But the power of the sugar thing is real. And I love that you've given such a strong guidebook of how to understand what it is and what to do with it. So maybe just like a little bit about that, because I do know that listeners love like a sense of what the guidance is. Yeah, no, it's a great question. So in the book I write about, well, so first of all, I want to say, I actually love that you have given up sugar because, you know, we all have a different relationship with sugar. Again, if somebody tells you there's one way run away. And so like in chapter four of this book, there's a quiz, like, you decide what your relationship status is. Like I'm a 12 out of 12, but I can guarantee you're not. And I think that there's a case to be made. I mean, actually only piece of evidence that exists in my industry is one that says this, which is self-determination is the most important thing. So us determining for ourselves what we need is the thing that makes it stick in addictions and eating disorders and in weight loss. So I say that because you don't have to be me. You don't have to be like eaten through a bypass, you know, wanting to die in order to break up a sugar. And I think that you can figure out gradations of what works for you. So the book talks about some vows, but when we're talking about the food of it, right? Like here's what we're not talking about. I'm not talking about fruit. I'm not talking about yogurts. Like people have like, I'm not keto. I don't actually believe in keto. I don't think it's healthy. I think there's going to be long-term health implications of it, to be honest with you. So I'm talking about finding ways to take the aggressive sugar out. There's a part in the book where I talk about the fifth ingredient rule. So if sugar is the fifth ingredient or less, and sugar comes in, you know, 51 names, probably more every day, they're making more. And like, the sugar today is not the sugar of 1940. It's, right, you know, just the like food the food industry just is like, like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just like doped it up and souped it up. But I am, to be transparent with your listeners who I love, I'm going to tell you there's two other things that I'm asking you to give up. That's that. One is artificial sweeteners, 
which in my opinion, I know, but a lot of people, Randy, but like Stevia, all of them, Truvia, like even the natural artificial sweeteners, because it messes with your taste buds in such an extraordinary way. Even Stevia is 300 times as potent as sugar. And the other thing it does for those of us struggling with our weight is like, it makes us feel hungry. It actually cues hunger. And there's lots and lots. This book is so full of research. I'm such a science nerd. There's like half the book is just citations. So you can read more about it. But the other thing, which I love this gluten idea is, is, that, I, is that sugar and flour and grain flour are really the same thing. And when you grind up, and again, the food industry, right? You grind it up, your brain reads it the same exact way. Interesting. And by the way, just the, when we're talking about lowercase addiction or sensitivity, the interesting difference between like a sensitivity to alcohol or drugs or something like that versus a sensitivity to something like sugar is that like alcohol only impacts your nervous system, right? It only impacts your dopamine levels, whatever. But food, sugar, flour, artificial sweeteners also impacts your endocrine system. And I know that there are a lot of women listening here. And so People get all into like, I don't know if it's an addiction, like fine. But like the basis of PCOS, the first thing they're going to tell you, give up sugar and flour, right? When we're talking about infertility, that's going to be one of the things that we're talking about. When we're talking about type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome. So we don't have to get so into like, I do think like there are only two relationships you have to have in this world. And one is with food and one is with yourself. And I think in reframing your issues with food, thinking about creating a loving relationship with food is so important. It's been essential to me and the thousands of people I've treated. But so like those are the top three prescriptions in the book, right? Sugar and all of its aliases, fifth ingredient, grain flour. And honestly, if I could ask people to give up one thing, I'd say artificial sweetener. It's the devil's greatest coup. I mean, what we have been trained to believe by the diet industry and the food industry about artificial sweeteners is somehow they're like good for us. It's so bonkers, Mm. the belief system that people have bought into. Yeah. Wow. Powerful. Thank you. I think like we could, well, I actually want to like totally just talk like the spiritual talk mostly. All day. But all day, all (laughs) day, every day. it's important. But it is important. And like people need tools and they need information and they need to understand like that, you know, inflammation is something that can, like that's why I told my story about my hands. It's like there's all these little ways that it can show up in our bodies and how powerful to be able to reclaim that wellness. Well, and I think also, you know, like we can spiritually bypass things, right? Like I can be sitting twice a day doing transcendental meditation, like binging my brains out on sugar, wondering why I'm not getting well. Like nobody spent more time at Kripalu in her 20s trying to like get well than me, right? Before they even had coffee at Kripalu. I'd like, I'm at Kripalu and I'm leaving at Kripalu to go like smoke a parliament and get a donut, like wondering why I'm not getting well. And so- it's so important to be thinking about this relationship you have with food if you're not getting well, because, you know, in a way, I'd much rather meditate than give up sugar, you know? Well, right. And actually, that's the solution. Yeah, that's the perfect segue to kind of where I want to go next, which is going back into the depth of this conversation, because those of us that are so drawn towards the spiritual speak and, and the meaning behind it, and we're, we're just like attracted to it, 
it's also easy to take those practices, if you want to call them, and use them as like, you know, the Band-Aid. Yeah. And, or as and, like a defense mechanism, right? I mean, yeah. I think that's certainly happened to me in my time. Like, and I think it's like, you know, no, it's fine. Like, I'll just, you know, I think meditation is a big thing. I think I went to a ton of acupuncture. I mean, I did everything I could to not have to give up sugar, right? And I'm not even joking. I literally yeah. spent weeks at a time at Kripalu. And so there are sometimes these spiritual gifts that are about surrendering to the truth. Yeah. And those are the hard ones. And those are the dark nights of the soul that we don't always like in the self-help community. But spirituality comes with looking at our wounds and looking at our darkness and looking at our shadows. And I think for me, that was the work. The work was not me. Like, you know me, like I'm happy to like, I'm at stole camp. I become a Tibetan bowl practitioner. I become this. It's like, that wasn't the hard work for me. The hard work for me was looking at my truth and learning how to embrace it and not looking away from it and learning how to really love myself despite all of these wounds that I had. Mm. So what was the thing, Molly, you told me there was something that you shared that you'd been so scared to tell the world about yourself, but when you did it, it's when you found your freedom, it's when people said to you, oh my God, this healed me. And not just one person. And that's pretty magical. Well, I think I'm the kind of person that people have say, you know, you need to write a book, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. And it just hanged me for a decade. And so I carried around so much shame, like so much shame. I had a lot of shame, you know, some of the messaging that was given to me in my childhood after my father died, you know, it was like, get over it, Molly. You know, people die. A lot of like, you're too much languaging maybe not verbally, but certainly in, you know, and listen, I mean, it's an overwhelming thing to have your husband die. I understand that at my age now. And, you know, so I never felt like it was okay to tell my story. I felt like it was burdening to people. Right. And then I, to be honest, the bariatric surgery, I told nobody, I did that. And I told nobody, anybody who, the only people who knew me to have had bariatric surgery was people who knew me when I had it. So anybody who knew me after the age of 25 didn't know. And so I would write this book. I would write this book. I would write this book. And I had very honest friends that would read it and say, this is a piece of crap. This isn't even your truth. Cause I left out everything. I just wrote what I thought people wanted to hear. My best friend's like, what are you talking in this like girlfriend language? It's like not even who you are as a person. And one time my friend's father, who I didn't know, wrote in the sidelines of the first chapter, he said, something's missing from this book. And I knew what was missing. It was my truth. And I closed it. And I was at Kripalu <laughs> again. Kripalu keeps coming up. <laughs> you know, with my clinical director at Beacon. And I was getting angry because somebody had written a book. And she said, Molly, of all the people in the world that need to read, write a book, it's you. What is going on with you? And I knew. I knew it in my soul. I was like, I'm going to go to the grave with these things. And then I knew I couldn't. And oh my God, Randy, the work I had to go and do, it was like, all right, here we go. And I went to like a spiritual advisor and I went to a therapist and I went and did all because I had to go look because I knew for myself, like truth really has healed me in my life. Like really hearing people's most authentic truth. It's my love language. It really is. And I knew if I was going to do this, I was going to have to go big. And so I went and I did all this work. And so it's so crazy. So now I talk about bariatric surgery, like Not bariatric surgery, my dad, like, it's like no big deal. You have no idea what it took me to have to get to this truth. And of course, of course, the moral of the story 
people saying, thank you for talking about this. Oh my God, the same thing is happening to me. So many parts of my story, because then when I wrote the book, this is how I wrote the book. What is my truth? What is my truth? Anytime I would get stuck, it still happens to me now. I sit down and I say, well, what's the truth? Try to write the truth. I get a tear up saying it. And it's such an easier way to live first and foremost, right? It's like, like hard on the front, like to do it, <laughs> to step in is really hard. But what happens yeah. when you do it is where all your power lives. And that's what I'm realizing too. I've been sitting in the hot seat myself, Molly, recently. And like when you, when yeah. you go there and like even just to say like, I'm really scared to feel this or I'm really scared to cry about this or whatever the fear is, like say that out. And then when you're able to do it, like everything that you need and want to be is on the other side of breaking through that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I don't mean to be such a scientist, but the research, like this idea of like addiction and disconnection being, you know, just twins, right? It's like, and then I'm able to connect with people in yes. the way that I need to, like, this is my experience, but in the experiences of others, it's like, I need to connect on this level. Like I'm a soulful person. I need soulful connections. And if I'm going to be tampering with my truth and trying to make it look like a good old PowerPoint, which is what I did for like 36 years, because that's what the messaging of my childhood was and just the messaging of society, I think in many ways. And then with little spurts of like, when I would really tell my truth, I saw how powerful it was to people, but it was like, there's just a so only so far I can go but it, that's not true. And now I'm just committed to the truth because every time I go there, it helps people. But also like, I never in my life thought that I would be the kind of person who could love themselves. I remember being in therapy like 10 years ago, like trying to convince this therapist that I was just like an unlovable person. People did, this was like, I wish somebody could have had a camera because it's like one therapist versus another therapist, you know? And I'm like, Randy, listen, here's what you have to understand. I'm unlovable. There's no helping it. You know, self-love is an impossibility. And what he said to me was, you know, this is really a problem you have with the divine Molly because you need a different conception of what God is to you or what the divine is to you or what the universe is to you because this is functionally not going to work for you, which is what I did in that work with him. And today, like, I do love myself. This is a miracle. I don't know. A lot of people maybe on this podcast like, oh, Molly, what a big deal. To me, the two things in my life that I cannot believe are true is A, I love myself and B, I have a totally loving relationship with food, which I mostly tried to use to kill myself, nourish myself, nourish. I used it for everything and never, I just thought people were like lying. I'd be like, good for you. And you're like healthy, loving relationship with food. Like you don't have the same problems that I have. And I'm on the other end being like, it's very possible. It takes wow. hard work, but I mean, what isn't worth fighting for? You know, the best things we have in life are worth fighting for. Definitely. Always. And the power of being able to be that broken and then discover your own healing is the gift that you give the people that you're speaking to. I mean, what else, yeah. like you said, what else is there? Well, and I think it's also as a clinician and as a speaker, you know, it's made me pretty fearless. Like just because I've had such darkness, like I'm not so scared to go where angels won't tread. You know what I mean? I'm not so scared to like look at someone and be like, hey, like, can we get real here? Like I just had a session with somebody where I literally said to her, like she tried to tell me a funny story and I just like, that's not funny. I'm really worried about you. 
you know, and I don't think anybody was brave enough to say that to her. And we had the most powerful, we did such powerful work today because we took deflection and deflection with humor off the table. And we just had a real moment. I think that sometimes, I mean, sometimes we need humor, Randy. I mean, you and I have laughed our asses off, but you know, just not that scared of life anymore, which is not the case. You know, I was just full of fear and rage and chaos when I was in the middle of this eating disorder of mine, for sure. I'm just in awe. I mean, I'm also realizing we never get more than like 15 minutes. So this feels like really good. (laughs) I know I'm having the best time. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Except for I'm like looking at the clock, like how much more time do I have with her? But that's my own. I know. Well, actually, I know. I know. Well, this is the healthiest part of me. I know. I agree with you. I have a similar disorder. (laughs) (laughs) It's not the most spiritual part of me. It's the anxious type A part of my disorder. Anyway, you know, so we said that we would talk about our dads today, Molly, and you already started to. So I want to give some airtime and some space to that wonderful man and to my wonderful man, my dad. And I think it's really powerful and important because we are their daughters and we've had to work through our shit, you know, to like understand what it, what it's meant to our lives. Right. It's so, bon- you know, it's, oh my goodness. Well, I love, you know, making that decision to be a lot of my decision, I think to become a spiritual person, which to me just means like a shift in what you believe, right? And how you experience the world. I mean, the stories that I was telling about my dad, my dad drove off a cliff in Big Sur, right? And so it's so unknown. What an unknown, right? And I, the messages I told myself about that in the beginning, right? I mean, they just, and they influenced so much of my worldview. And so when I got to some turning points in my life, certainly when I decided to heal from my eating disorder, other addictions, I was like, I had to rewrite a lot of this, you know, and, you know, like, how could he have done this to me? Or if he loved me more, he wouldn't have. And working through that with spirituality and with a God of my understanding and things like that has been incredibly powerful. I feel like really compelled to tell you this, right? Don't really share this, but And then when about five years ago, I just decided I needed to go get to know my dad, which is why I love the choice of spirituality, because my dad was dead like 30 years. And I decided I was going to go get to know him, which I did, as you all know, because when we started this class, let me get my dad here. And, you know, when I was first getting on my wellness journey, I had a woman say something to me like, you know, you could repair this relationship with your father. And at that time, I was like, what are you talking about? He did this to me. But I was in Santa Cruz where when my dad died, he was cremated and they took a lock of my hair. I had very curly hair and they took a lock of my hair and his ashes and they gave it to a surfer because my dad was a big surfer and that was the funeral of it all. And I just had this inkling when I was in Santa Cruz and my cousin and I, and I had this moment, like I am ready to tell a new story about my relationship with my father. You know, I was dating the wrong guys and I was telling the wrong stories and I was just had a, I don't know how this happened. That's the beauty of spirituality. You don't have to know how it happens, right? But I just had this thing like, I'm going to go retell this story. And here's what I did. I cut a piece of my hair, <laughs> which is, va- I'm very vain. So this was a big sacrifice. And my cousin and I went on a whale watch and I went to the back of the boat and I said, Katie, I'm going to go and I'm going to have a little funeral with my father. And I went to the back of the boat and I threw my hair over and I just like, amended. You know, I just said, Hey, 
I'm sorry for the stories that I'm, I've been telling about you. I'm sorry for how I've been holding you in my life. I want it to be different. Like I want this to be, I want us to have a different relationship. And I sat there and I cried a little. And then this happened. My cousin Katie could vouch. Over the loudspeaker, they said, please go over to the right side of the boat. There are rare Rizzo's dolphins. And there were six white dolphins, like dancing like the Rockettes. And, you know, I hang with some people that say, why do you believe in the moon? It's like, like, what's the downside if in that moment I can just get this little nod? And so, of course, you know, I'm obsessed with dolphins now, you know, and anytime I see a dolphin, it's like, and I've been able to heal this relationship in a way that, and all of my relationships, right? We heal one, we heal all. What happens above happens below. What happens within happens without. And it's been like, I don't know, it's given me a part of myself that I didn't know I lost and I didn't know that I needed. You know, wow. so beautiful, Molly. Oh my gosh. Also, like, I just picture you this like little tiny girl who like had to tell yourself something, you know, okay. when I was like in, in kindergarten, you know, and like everybody's making Father's Day cards and I'm just like making my grandpa card and yeah. like making a bald mm-hmm. head, you know, the loss of it is so disorienting. And you, know? you have to, so, in yeah. order to love yourself now and like to be able to say, I love myself, like, I'm sure you've had to love that little girl, like as cheesy as that sounds, oh, but like you've had no, to love I on her. I have a picture of her next to my bed. I literally have a picture of little Molly in all of her too muchness. Like, you know, and I just say, we're doing great, you know? Yeah. And I even said to my dad, really exceeding expectations, you know, as are you. You know, as are you. Yeah. I feel you. They do. I mean, I talk about my dad all the time on the podcast. He comes in quite a bit. And yeah, I mean, I was 25. So I had the blessing of more years than you did. But still, the quick sudden. It's hard to say, though, Rand, like, because my best friend's father died when we were 25. I don't know. I don't think there's any easy way when it's that sudden. No, there's no easy way. All I can say is I'm grateful for what I had. And so that's there. But the same accidental loss, like here one day, gone the next, which is so incredibly hard to digest and explain. And, you know, look, the healing is lifelong. And the reality of how tragedy and loss affect you what the father and daughter dynamic means there is huge mm-hmm. it's big stuff like i don't know i just want to say that i really honestly at this point in time really believe that those of us i mean everybody goes through stuff right like life is not a bowl of cherries but those life is lifey, Randy. Life is life lifey. lifey. My mom calls it life school, and I think that's true. I think that's a good description, <laughs> life school. But I think that those of us that go through the tough stuff and then make an active choice at some point, it's probably not immediate, but at some mm-hmm. point to do the work to navigate it, understand it, heal it, process it, and then take that wisdom and turn it into some kind of gold. Like that is the work. And there's, I'm not trying to say anyone is above anyone else, but I think there are certain people that are meant for that path. And it's those of us that are doing some kind of work to help people like some way, somehow. And that's the path for that kind of work. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, you know, shamanism always talks about when we heal, we heal seven generations before and after. And I, you know, sometimes I'm so codependent, like I'll go on that, you know, but 
for me, just coming from such a space of like self-hate and self-harm, you know, pain is a touchstone of all growth, right? Very rarely do we make these decisions to grow like, oh, so I say to people when they come see me, you know, very rarely does someone walk into my office and say, so everything's amazing. That's why I'm here. You know, people are like, I'm done. I need help now. Those are the best moments. Like desperation breeds such growth. And what I've learned, because I've had a lot of these turning points, actually right about at the end of my book, I call them these God moments, G-O-D, grow or die. Mm. When I have these turning points in life and I make the hard one, it's a growth that I can't explain. It's where I've gotten my self-love from. Because what I've learned in these moments where I take this harder path is like, as our friend Patricia would say, I'm stronger than I know. I can do hard things, you know? And I didn't know that about myself because I was fragilizing myself because I was making daily transgressions multiple times a day, transgressions against myself. I didn't believe anything except for that I was an unlovable piece of you know what. And so this is where I believe, like, and I'm, you know, spiritual bypass. It's like spirituality is an action. Like self-care and self-love is an action. And I think that that's really what I've come to in my own path, which is, yeah, I mean, doing the hard thing is usually when I am the most connected to divine, you know, it's not the good times are the good times. It's like what we do when things get murky and when it gets dark is really where we, in my experience, like where I've really learned the most is in the darkness. Absolutely. Molly, you're unbelievable. Like this has been like the best hour. Takes on to no one, Rand. Oh my God. I'm so excited by this conversation. Me too. We have like 20 more to have. It's just the way it is with you and me. Let's keep doing it. Let's keep doing it. Let's <laughs> do some, I don't know. Let's make something. I don't know. I'm so in. No, I actually do. I think there's a lot of, I mean, I just think you're the best. And I, I just want to say like, side note, like I love your passion for this. It's like, that's when you know somebody is, it doesn't matter. Like when I was going to write this book, my first thought obviously was like, well, I have two Instagram followers. No one's ever going to buy my book or buy, you know, like no publishing house is going to buy my book. But then I was like, who cares? Just go, just don't stop. Can't stop, won't stop, can't stop. And like, you know, random house bought my book. It's great. Yeah. That's how I feel about you. You know what I mean? You're like, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to see what happens. I only like to be around people like you. It's like, I'm just going to throw it up in the air. I'm going to let the divine decide what happens. Let's do this. And yeah. if I help one person, this is how I feel. If I help one person, I'm good to go. If totally. I help one person today, I'm good to go. I need nothing more. We need it. We need this. We need each other to just keep reminding each other this. So I know everyone is going to be very curious to pick up a copy of this book and to follow you. And if there is the need to anybody listening to get in touch with you for your work at the Beacon program. Yeah. So please let everybody know where they can connect with you. So yeah, mollycarmel.com is going to be the umbrella. It's where everything is. And... It's very easy because I'm just like Molly Carmel on social media, Molly Carmel on YouTube, Molly Carmel on Facebook. And the thing I do that I'm really in love with, I've been doing it for years, but now people know who I am. So it's kind of exciting is every Sunday night at nine o'clock, I do a Facebook live and an Instagram live. And it's really fun. There's a lot of people there. It's not fun. It's fun if you think like going into the depths of your soul is fun like you and I do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're having some kind of conversation about things and, uh, I always know for me, Sunday nights used to get so gnarly that I feel like really it's important to hang out with people at nine o'clock on Sunday so we can like get into the week without so many Sunday scaries. So 
it's been a great thing. And so, yeah, the more the merrier. Amazing. Amazing. So, okay, guys, listeners, I know that this conversation went deep. There's a lot here. It's been actually amazing because a lot of people have been telling me recently that they're re-listening to episodes, which I'm like, thank you. What an honor. I have a feeling this might be one of them. So again, this is Molly Carmel. This is her book, Breaking Up with Sugar. It is about sugar. It is about a lot more than sugar. For sure. A lot more than sugar. And if you feel like you need more of this, I do encourage you to head over to her website and check out her work and where you can find the support that you're ready for. Because that's the thing. When you're ready, you know. And you can go find That's it. That's right. You know. That's right. So again, Molly, thank you for all of this work that you do. You're amazing. And love you. Love you. And listeners, thank you for hanging out with Molly and I today. And if you're loving this episode and you know that there are people in your life that could really use this kind of talk and this kind of conversation, head over to the share and share it with your loved ones or post it on social. These conversations are meant to help people. So share. Okay, guys, I love you for being my fan and for hanging out with me on this podcast. I love you for it. And until next time, take care of yourself. Bye. If you're enjoying the Going Beyond podcast, consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. When you subscribe, our weekly episode arrives right onto your device on whichever platform you've subscribed from. We also appreciate five-star ratings and reviews. Thanks so much for your support, friends. We're so glad you're hanging with us.